Welcome to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast where seeing things differently inspires limitless possibilities. The Limitless podcast was created in order to inform, educate, entertain, and share stories from within the blind and partially sighted community that show that the opportunities for those who are blind or partially sighted are truly limitless. And now, it is my pleasure to introduce you to your host, the founder of Blind Beginnings, Sean Marcelet. Welcome back to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. I'm your host, Sean Marcelet, and today's episode, we are talking about imposter syndrome, specifically folks who are partially sighted, who feel perhaps sometimes like imposters in the blind community. And with me are three amazing co-hosts, Ishitha, Nina, and Acacia. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Hi, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for being here. I'm so excited to get into this topic, but before we do, let's remind our listeners a little bit about your level of vision. Sure. Uh, Hi, everyone. My name is Ishitha, and I have a condition called coronary dystrophy. So that primarily affects my central field of vision. I do have a little bit of vision there, but it's mostly my peripheral vision. And I can see general shapes and colors, uh, but have issues with seeing finer details. I'm Nina, and I have Stargardt's disease, which causes central vision loss. So I see pretty similar to Ishita, nothing in the middle. a bit of peripheral, and then I struggle with details and distance. Okay, awesome. And Acacia? Um, so I have ocular cutaneous albinism. So my vision is uncorrected. It's 20 over 200, which is about 10%. Um, it's a little better than that when I wear my contacts, but um, I have trouble seeing distance and detail, especially when there's glare or low contrast. Um, when it's like sunny outside, I have a really hard time seeing anything. And I can, when the conditions are perfect and the font is bolded and well spaced, I can read font size 12 pretty standardly, but not anything smaller than that. And I can't like, you know, read a sign or anything like that. Okay. So Nina, you came up with this topic. Do you want to uh, explain kind of how this came to be and why you wanted to talk about this today? Yes. So I was listening to the the episode we did a few weeks ago about choosing to use a white cane and all of it was really amazing and very, very relatable. Um, but then something that really stuck out to me is I think it was Ishita that said this, that um, they felt like they didn't deserve to use a cane because they weren't like fully blind or quote unquote blind enough Um And that really hit home. That's something that I've felt a lot of times with my cane and with like accommodations in general. And it just got me thinking about imposter syndrome when you're visually impaired and feeling like you're not sighted or blind enough because the world very consistently tells you that blindness is something that's all or nothing. And it's this very binary thing and when you're in this weird gray area where, you know, I'm not blind, but I'm definitely not sighted, then you're kind of like, well, where do I, where do I fit in? Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that that can end up doing a lot of damage to emotional health and self-esteem, especially when you're a kid or a teenager, because you're already trying to figure out who you are. You're already insecure, but now you have this added thing on top of that. So true. Very well said. Thank you, Nina. Um, 
Ishita and Acacia, can you relate to this? What are your thoughts? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, now that Nina says I do remember saying something like that in the in the white cane episode but yeah this is something I've been wanting to touch on for a long time this kind of in-between stage of being you know too sighted to be considered what society thinks is blind and then too blind to be considered sighted um and a lot of misconceptions a lot of assumptions a lot of um just societal uh I don't, it's kind of like effects on you when you're in this situation, but also like Nina said, very personal struggles that you deal with, um, especially in very pivotal developmental ages. Um, and as you're going through life, um, we can talk a bit about like university and all, all those stuff, but yeah, it's a very interesting topic and I'm very, uh, I don't want, I don't want to say happy because I, I don't like that all of us are feeling this, but it's nice to know I'm not the only one who felt like this growing up and even now. Yeah, I definitely like, um, it's interesting because I hadn't like heard the term imposter syndrome until I'm not sure when, but Nina had mentioned it a while back. And I was like, oh, like I knew, like, I was like, I totally feel that, but I didn't know that was like a thing. Um, I don't know. I feel like, like when I'm talking to fully sighted people, I feel like I'm more likely to say I'm legally blind because I think that'll register with them, which is true. But then when I'm talking to blind people, I'm more likely to say I'm visually impaired because I don't want to look like I'm trying to you know, like, I'm always worried that I'm, like, when I, because I only need my cane sometimes, and, like, it kind of just varies the amount of accommodation and stuff I need, and I don't want to, like, make other people think that it's like that for all blind people, and I don't want to, like, do damage that way, I guess, so, no, I, I'm, I'm excited to talk about this topic. Yeah, that's so, uh, complex. <laughs> the fact that you 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 use different terminology in different situations in order to try to get the point across, and the fact that you even have to think about that is is a thing in itself, right? Imposter syndrome. You can feel like an imposter in many different ways. Um, so it's not specifically related to this, but I think that yeah, this is a perfect example of it. I mean. I felt like an imposter when I became a counselor because I didn't have enough, you know, how do you know you're ready and you're it's just you and the client. And what if I'm not, <laughs> what if I'm not ready? <laughs> and, and yeah. So I think, you know, anything that you're, you sort of feel like, do I belong here? Is this term correct to describe me can make you feel like, like an imposter. Um, Maybe we should define legal blindness. Um, just, I feel like we have talked about this before, but just so that everybody listening is clear to be classified as legally blind or medically blind, which kind of means the same thing. Um, you have to have 20 or two, 20 over 200 or worse vision, a person with perfect vision, what they can see at 200 feet, a person with 10% vision would have to be 20 feet to be able to see it. Um, or you can have less than 20 degrees of vision, which would be like looking through a toilet paper roll and you'd still be considered legally blind. So 10% vision is not a lot, but also a fair amount, depending on who you're talking to, <laughs> which is part of the problem, right? It's funny. I'm like, can people see 10 times as well as I can see? Like, what are they seeing? But yes. So like, I feel like if I said that to a sighted person, they'd be like, oh my God. But like, you know, when, if you can't see anything at all, then 10% is a lot. So yes, exactly. You know. 
mind blowing, right? I always think that too, but I think that people are seeing a lot more detail than we are. So like you could see the tree, but they can see the tree with each individual leaf and the veins on each individual leaf, perhaps maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> We're not experts on this. No. <laughs> so let's dig a little deeper into this. Tell me, like, what are some of the reactions? I imagine something that might happen is you're using your, your white cane and then you have an encounter with a sighted person who is confused because you seem to be looking at them or you seem to be able to read something or walk me through a scenario. <laughs> I have a kind of funny one, I guess. I have like a few kind of like the reactions are a little bit over the top. Um, but when I was when I was working, um, it was like one that I can think of is when we were essentially we were door knocking, we're going from door to door. And, you know, I, I would always let the person know who I was with, like, hey, I'm I'm blind. Um, I do at the time I had my ID cane. Um, but if it was like well lit and the area was relatively like it's just driveways, I didn't really need my cane much. Um, but like a lot of the times people would still be very cautious around me. I think the, uh, people who are the managers told everyone that like, you know, everyone makes sure that doesn't die when she's out. And I'm like, great. And to be fair, I have like walked into cars, not moving cars, like stationary cars when it was dark. So, um, I think everyone was just a little bit more aware with me being there. And once, um, it was a little bit gloomy, it was raining and uh this driveway had like very long steps like the way i can describe it is like in movie theaters you know that there's like the two small and the one long mm -hmm. um it's like long all the way down so i kind of found it tedious walking up and down because it was just um there were also uneven depths so it wasn't even the same depth for each step so mm -hmm. what i ended up doing i had like two steps left i just jumped to get down um, cause that seemed easier to me than just like kind of moving my foot and like, you know, trying to figure that out. And the person next to me, like audibly screamed when I did that, um, because they thought I was just gonna completely miss the, the grass and just like hit my head or something. And they're like, why would you do that? And I'm like, well, it was just, it was easier. Like, I just thought, cause they did that as well. So I'm like, why, why is it such a big deal if I did that? And they're like, but you're blind. Like you can't jump. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um I've had that and I've had like a people um I don't always need sighted guide but I usually do use it in areas where I'm not as comfortable or if I'm trying to find my um room in a university I'll have security guide me and they're always quite shocked when I can I don't always need to hold on to them and I can kind of just follow directions very well and sometimes it's just like a conversation but sometimes they insist because I'm assuming it's a security protocol where they need to make sure the person's safe that I hold on to them or they hold my hand or um, just kind of hold on to me just to make sure I'm not walking into things. And I've had to tell them like, you don't need to do that. It's very unnecessary. And sometimes I don't always feel safe holding hands with the stranger. Um, so <laughs> it's kind of weird. You're just walking down university and you see like a grown man, like me holding a <laughs> hand. Um, so like it's it's kind of it's gone where it's like sometimes I just try to spin it into something that's funny. But yeah, a lot of the times if um, and especially if I don't have my cane, a lot of times people would never even think that I'm blind or unless I verbalize it to them. Um, I've gotten like, oh, I just thought you didn't get enough sleep. Like you're <laughs> like, I just thought you weren't paying attention. Um, I had someone thought I was like just zoned out because I wasn't looking at them. I had a prof say that to me and like, you know, she apologized afterwards, but it was just, 
a lot of assumptions. Um, and then having that cane, people can at least identify that I'm blind, but that also leads to I'm well, I have less vision than they assume that I do. Right. Yeah, I think most of the the situations I deal with are more people think that I'm sighted at first and then they see me with my cane or doing something, I don't know, blind. And then they're just really confused. Um, so for example, I am on the UBC Alpine ski team. I'm a ski racer and I'm new this year. And at the beginning of September, we had our first dry land session, which is basically like cardio training on the track. And I arrived at the track without my cane and I was doing all of it without my cane because the track is a very constant, predictable environment, obviously. Like I know its shape. I know there's not going to be any bumps. The lines are really high contrast. Um, no poles in the middle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then afterward, I started walking back to my dorm with my cane. Um, and I walked past two people who were also at the practice. And I noticed that they were just like staring at me intently. <laughs> just like, well, okay. Anyways. Mm -hmm. And then what frustrates me is when the people don't ask about it. Um, like, I'm fine if you're confused. I'm happy to clarify, but it bothers me when people are clearly confused, but they don't ask about it. And then you just have this like awkward interaction. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. You're bringing it back for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember cause I was a swimmer and in the pool, obviously I don't have a cane and people didn't necessarily know. And, and then I would get out and yeah, same thing. And wondering, like worrying all the time about what they think, what, what are people thinking? Are they thinking that I'm faking being blind now, or I'm tr trying to like pull one over on them in the water <laughs> when I don't have my cane? Like, and really, it you just you use it when you need it, and you don't use it when you don't need it. And but that's complicated, I guess, for yeah. people, right? It's funny, like I don't know, I don't know. I feel like sometimes people can tell, and sometimes they can't, because like anything I'm reading, I have to hold like an inch away from my face, and I don't know if I'm like visually, visually, visually impaired. If that makes sense, like because yeah. like my eyes like don't quite look the same like one of them like like when I see pictures of myself I'm like oh one of my eyes is like slightly looking off to the side and whatever and they're not like like just because of the way like I can see out of the one better I think like mm -hmm. they look slightly different but like and also I have nystagmus but I have no idea like how much of that people can see in normal life so I'm not sure like whether like, I don't want to like, if I've known people for like a while, but haven't outright said it, I don't want to like insult them by saying, oh, by the way, you know, right. yeah. like to make them think, but I also don't want to just assume people know, because like, I walk with my cane, like I don't need it all of the time. And it's just a totally case by case thing, like whether it's sunny, or there's bad weather, or there's stuff on the trail, or it's uneven, or I just haven't been this place before, or there's busy traffic. But then there's also instances like when I'm walking around campus to the places I walk every day where I don't need it. Mm -hmm. And so like, I don't know, I don't 
I, I do worry that people think that I'm either faking being blind or that I'm trying to pretend to be sighted, I guess. Yeah. That's an interesting, that whole, like, whether to tell people, do I have to tell people? I'm sure they have questions, but they haven't asked. Do they already know? Do I assume that they know? Like, that is so complicated. It's interesting to me because I don't think anyone has ever said, I think you're faking it to me. Um I, I, I think of me when I was younger, because when my eyes, when I started losing my vision, my, um, I think my parents were like, oh, she's just messing around when, like initially, um, because my eyes, I think they, like I would get cross-eyed a bit and I would do that a bit when I was a baby. So they just thought I was maybe doing that. But like when I was like realistically in real life doing like, you know, just living life, no one has said that to me, but it's still an internal thing. I think a lot of us feel and it's just weird that it's, I, I don't know about you guys, but like if, if someone has said that to you, um, I think I would just turn around and say like, no, that's not the case and like educate them. I wouldn't be afraid if someone confronted me with that, but it's just an internal thing in my own head more than anything. And I don't know where it comes from. <laughs> like if someone confronted me about it, I'd know what to say and I'd be able to explain it to them. But no one has ever confronted me about it. So I have no idea if think- people are thinking that and probably realistically, they're not thinking anything. You know, because I'm just some <laughs> passing person, but like, I just keep thinking, like, what if they are thinking that? Yeah, it's it's silly. I feel like in Nina's case, the example, they were thinking something. Don't you think? Right, but then, but then we keep overthinking it ourselves. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's almost like I said, it's worse when they don't ask. Like, no one's ever said to me directly, "Oh, I think that you're faking being blind." But then it's kind of this like underlying, well, do they think that though? Like, do I need to clarify? Do they, do they know that people can be like not fully blind and not fully sighted? Yeah. And I guess this boils down to our own kind of like buying into that stereotype ourselves, even though we know the the reality that blindness is a spectrum and you know, there's something in between, but it's kind of like everyone else thinks you're either totally blind or totally sighted. And so I don't know, like, it sounds like somewhere inside yourself, you're kind of like beating up against that. I know for me, I I worried a lot about, I had an idea in my head of how people understood blindness and whatever stereotype went along with that. And that could really sort of impact my own behavior Mm -hmm. so like not wanting to use a cane in the first place is because well in my mind people who see someone with a white cane make a whole lot of assumptions and I don't want them to make those assumptions about me but really it had everything to do with my own assumptions of the you know that sort of buying into that stereotype of blindness so I have a great story for that tell me um I think I told you this Sean but the first week the first two weeks of university, I somehow managed to make the decision to not use my cane, even though before I moved, I told myself that I would. Um, But then it was like the first morning I was going to get breakfast with an old friend. And for some reason, I went, oh, I don't want to intimidate her with my cane. Mm. I don't want to like weird her out, which doesn't make sense at all. But that's what my brain did. 
And then it just kind of like spiraled and I was not using my cane for two weeks and it was causing me so much stress because even though I could, I could walk around without it, without hurting myself, it was really difficult. It took a lot of energy. Um, I didn't feel like I could ask for help. And I was literally having like dreams about my cane. That's how ridiculous this was. Um, but then eventually I just decided to start using it. And then it's just been so much easier since then. Like I don't have to worry when I'm walking to and from class every day. That must have been hard to start using it after you'd already been to class without and all those people had seen you without like did you yeah. have this yeah I, I can imagine it's like coming out right like yeah <laughs> it's funny like not to that extreme but I did almost the same thing my first couple weeks of university and it was weird because like in high school I'd gotten like totally comfortable with using my cane and I'd been using it for work all summer Mm -hmm. And then for some reason, mentally, I was back there again, like, oh, I don't want to weird people out. And it's making yeah, this exactly. weird noise on the super grainy cobblestone and <laughs> all this. And I was like, I'm really not safe walking by the road right now. Like, I should have it. Why don't I have it with me? And it was just this. I was going to say that I had the opposite, where it feels like the university or like maybe being around so many new people had that impact of like, oh, I don't want to use the cane. Um, mine was like more freeing in high school it was a very small, like, um, we were in a small school. I kind of knew everyone. And I think that more so made me not want to use the cane. And then when I got to university, I'm like, well, no one knows me here. Um, why not? <laughs> it's a big university. So it gave me more of that, like leeway to myself. Um, in like, if someone sees me, they're not going to know who I am. They're not going to really like say anything versus people who do know me. Like, I feel like they would give themselves more position, like uh, permission to say something to me because they think that they know me. So I kind of took it in a different way. That's just interesting that we had different approaches to that. Yeah. I thought that uh, going to university, no one knew me that I would feel like ready and I still didn't <laughs> so I had good intentions and you guys are amazing because if you just didn't for two weeks oh my gosh I kind of did my entire university career uh so <laughs> carrying it folded in my hand like nobody knows what that is and it does not help you fold it in your hand um something you guys said about not wanting to make people uncomfortable or or that's just so interesting that you're worried about other people's comfort or feelings before your own sort of comfort and safety? I feel like there's sort of this, like, I don't know, because I didn't really know anyone while coming here, where, like, you don't want to be, when you're just meeting new people, you don't want to seem like you're extra work, which is yep. kind of yeah. crazy because really you're not. Like, besides being like, oh, could you tell me what that sign says? I feel like there's not... It's not like people have to do extra work, but like I was so in my head about giving that impression, mm -hmm. which again is dumb because like I, I thought I was like, oh, I'm totally past this. And I was not, <laughs> and which yeah. is, you know. It's like a, a a way for me to look back on. I'm a little bit older than these two. <laughs> I'm in my fifth year of university now. So I remember this feeling quite well um, of how are my 
how are my professors going to like see me? How are my peers going to like think of me? Like um, it's, it is a new identity in a way that you are presenting to people. And I'm in like a different stage where I'm trying to, you know, either you're job searching or talking to people for um, shadowing experiences. Um, and I, I think being older helps a lot, or maybe I'm just more jaded now. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not as concerned about people's comfort. Um, I I do my disclosure and I say, hey, uh, I shared a, a situation yesterday where I think maybe the terminology I used may have um, changed the person's perception. It was for a research study that I want to take part in on campus. And I let the person know that, hey, I'm, I'm visually impaired. Um, I'm not sure what, because they don't disclose what the activities are going to be beforehand. So I'm just like, just so you know, um, do you think I can participate? And they're like, yeah, it shouldn't be an issue. And when I got there yesterday, the research assistant didn't know I was going to be there. She had no idea I was going to be blind. Um, and I think me saying visually impaired, the person assumed I could see more than I can um, because the tasks were reaction-based. You had to look at the fish on the screen and their eyes in particular and point in the direction that their eyes were pointed. So I'm like, that's a very visual task. Um, so I'm like, if I had said blind, maybe that may have told them that like, oh, okay, they can't see a lot. Um, and that might've helped me a bit. I kind of wasted a trip there, but um, it's, you know, I do my due diligence in trying to let the person know, but if it doesn't work out or if it's just not something that'll be feasible, I'm not afraid to say like, all right, it's just not a place for me. I will, I also said, and I wouldn't have ever done this before. I'm like, if you want to make your your study more accessible, feel free to call me and I have some pointers. <laughs> um, and I don't know how they took that. Maybe they took it and I didn't say in a rude way or anything, but I'm like, I think that's growth on my part where I've gotten a lot more comfortable with presenting my blindness and identifying with it. Um, because growing up, I didn't even say the word blind at all for myself, like to identify myself and... It was a proud moment. I came back and I was just feeling pretty happy with myself. We are interrupting this podcast with an important announcement. The holidays are coming up and the Limitless Podcast is excited to invite some of our frequent listeners to join us for a special holiday episode. If you would like to be on the Limitless podcast, please send an email to limitless at blindbeginnings.ca and tell us a little bit about yourself. Maybe you can join us. It's interesting. Um, I still refer to myself as visually impaired in social situations or somewhere where I don't know. I just want I, I don't. Yeah, there is that protection using the blind word, even though I'm like, I don't think blind is a bad word. And I like I no problem referring to myself as a blind person. But I think I don't know, there's something like if it's like a I want them to give me a chance at doing the thing, I will say visually impaired. And I know that they will assume that I have more vision than I do. And I want them to because I think that they're probably going to are more likely to let me try this thing. Whereas if you, you know, let's say it's a, a class that I want to take or an experience I want to try, like I want to go zip lining or something. I'm going to call up and say I'm visually impaired. Is that going to be a problem? I'm not going to say blind because I feel like, I don't know, there's going to be an assumption that if you're blind, you probably can't, even though that's totally not true. And I'm the same person regardless. 
Yeah, I think socially just blind has had a lot of negative connotations with it. Um, maybe through media or just because there was always like a lack of education surrounding it. Um, and like if we go into like the medical model, it's always like a, it needs to be fixed idea versus kind of looking at the social model of it. Mm-hmm. And it sucks that like we have to change our vocabulary or how we present ourselves because I think a lot of us have had these situations where we've been denied stuff because we're blind and we choose to say that or identify as that. And we've learned to use a certain word in a certain situation to give ourselves an opportunity that everyone else has. Sometimes when I'm in situations, instead of saying, oh, I'm legally blind or oh, I'm visually impaired, I'll just say something like, especially if I'm with people my own age and I'm like asking someone to read something to me or someone's trying to show me something on their phone and I can't see it. I'll just say, oh, I have really bad vision. Sorry, which is mm-hmm. which is dumb because, well, that's true. That's not like, you know, lots of people have less than perfect vision that it's and it's it's sort of like a I don't know I think it's a thing like don't you know don't disclude me because of this don't yeah don't like, think I'm that different from you which mm-hmm. is like because it shouldn't be that way and I feel like I'm almost like relying on stereotypes myself which isn't not stereotypes exactly but it's not good like and you shouldn't assume that people are are going to do that but just like I don't know, based on experience, I feel like sometimes not like using those words like, oh, I'm visually impaired or I'm blind will like get you included in more things, which it definitely yes. shouldn't. But Yes, it does. Exactly. It's, yeah. It does. Yeah. That word protective is very interesting. Sorry, go ahead. Nina. I was just thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, that's so true to describe it. You're protecting yourself from people not giving you the chance. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because I'll do the opposite. I remember when I was more partially sighted, um, had more vision, if I was going into a grocery store and I needed assistance in that case, I would say I was blind yep. because, you know, it's like, well, if I say I'm partially sighted, they're going to be like, well, then do it your own self. Like, <laughs> so if you if I need help, I'm blind. If I'm trying to be included, I'm visually impaired. And yeah, it's what works, sadly, right? It's like, it's not really right or wrong. It's just with experience, you kind of learn, well, this gets me what I need in the moment. It's funny, I was in the, I had to take many ferries, both ways to go visit my grandparents. Um, I just got back yesterday. And at first I was like, oh, I had to have my cane, like out and not have it out and whatever because I needed it and then I didn't need it. Well, I thought I didn't need it and I just had it out. I kept using it when I was inside the terminal because like I was in a rush and I didn't know where things were and I couldn't see, but I was thinking if I ask people questions, they're more likely to answer me. And then I found out that having it in the terminal was a huge help and I was tripping way less. And I I was like, oh, so I started out, you know, it was weird because I was like, oh, I should probably be using this way more because the situation I thought I didn't need it is actually helping me hugely. I don't know. It was it was a weird experience because like I know like I'd ask where the baggage thing was because it was super unobvious and someone and, you know, he just answered me and it was it was good. It was fine. But I'm like, if I didn't have my cane and I just said I'm visually impaired, where is this? But, no, it makes sense. because no, yeah. They might point and say it's oh, it's just over yeah. there. And, yeah. 
that's another part of my kind of like cane journey is realizing that a lot of the time when you have low vision, you're kind of subtly encouraged to not use some accommodations because we're told that we're like lucky that we have the vision we have. And mm -hmm. while yes, I do, I like the vision that I have, it doesn't mean that I can't use other things to help me. And then when I have used those things, I realize suddenly, oh, like this is so much easier. I think it's important to, to clarify that deserving some sort of mobility aid or accommodation or help, you don't necessarily have to need that to survive, but if you want it and if it's benefiting you, then you completely deserve it. Yeah. I was thinking about like, just because you can do it without, um, doesn't mean that you have to do it without, right? Like if it's, yeah. if using the cane makes it a smoother, easier process, then you should be able to use the cane just because you could manage without it, but it would be more stressful and more tiring. And, you know, maybe you trip, like, why should you put yourself through that? Totally. Like, I think it, in a way, like if I, I could technically read print if I want to read a book, but I could read like one letter per screen. <laughs> like that's how big <laughs> it has to be. It's like, if I were to sit down and read a book, that would take me um, months if I just read it by print versus an audiobook or um, uh, like just listening through voiceover or like another text-to-speech software. That's so much more convenient and it allows me to do so much more with my time. Mm -hmm. it's yeah it's crazy to me and like like Ina said with accommodations and especially so in universities because um I don't know about you guys but I've been straight up told like oh I don't think you'll need that um upon request where I have um and not necessarily through the center itself I've had very good interactions with people from the accessibility center but from professors who frankly don't know a lot about accessibility, a lot of the times I had when I was explaining my concerns about, and this is I think my second year, and I was explaining concerns about a flow chart project where I let him know that I would really struggle with this software because it wasn't interacting with accessible tech. Um, I essentially was told, uh, I think the response I got was, well, you can come to my class on your own. Why can't you use that? And I'm like, sir, navigating the classroom and seeing a flowchart are two very different things first. Mm. Um, but, you know, I, I was, again, in my second year, I was very shocked by that response because I was trying to go to this person for help because they're your teacher. And I was saying like, hey, is there any way? And I wasn't trying to get out of the assignment at all. I just asked if it could be adapted in a way that I could do it. And then I got the response, well, did you even try to do it and I'm like oh yeah I've tried I've tried your software um it's just not working uh so yeah and then when I left I even heard him I don't know if it was about me I don't want to assume but I heard him like kind of laughing with the TA that was there so I kind of walked away from that interaction very like yeah a lot of people really don't understand even when you're trying to discuss um and advocate for yourself and let them know they'll have the assumption that either you don't want to do it or you can do this thing why can't you do this thing even though it's kind of apples to orange comparison um 
so yeah a lot of a lot of upsetting situations with that where you need to deal with the assumptions that people have about being partially sighted that sounds like a situation that reinforces this whole feeling like an imposter right so mm-hmm. because I show up to class and I can find my way and maybe even find a seat now he doesn't believe I'm blind enough to ask for the accommodations I need. Wait. And I think when you get that response over and over and over again, especially when you're younger, a part of you starts to believe it mm-hmm. um, because then you like you start thinking, well, you know, why do I need that if I can do this and this? Like I'm. I guess I'm not really blind. Like, who do I think I am? I'm taking this away from someone else. And that's not true at all. Like, you're not taking it away from someone else. You don't need to be some specific degree of blind to deserve an accommodation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like, because in elementary school, I had like a lot of kids, including some kids that were like my friends, say to me, like, well, I can't see it either. So why do you get large print? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, I don't know, like for like, you know, they'd be like annoyed at me for getting accommodations, even though the accommodations didn't negatively impact them at all. But it was like, a, well, no one can read it, this thing. And then like, I don't know, I didn't, people would offer large print for a lot of years and I'd, I'd be like, no, it's okay. I'll just, and then I'd take a whole bunch of time trying to read the same thing, which is, you know, there was part of me that was also just being a you know being a teenager that and like a preteen that wanted to, you know I don't blame most of that on that but it was it was funny in grade 12 my English teacher just she didn't say anything and she didn't make a big deal about it even though it wasn't her job she gave me like a larger print copy of something and I was like oh my god I can read at the same speed that other people are not at the same speed but quite a lot you know at the same speed that other people are reading and it's it's weird like there's all this oh well you can do this so why you know Mm -hmm. rather than making it giving people accommodations so that they can keep up with their peers or yeah that whole people being envious of our accommodations is really that doesn't help this whole feeling right because it's like Mm I remember being pulled out of PE and having kids be jealous that they had to do PE. I'm like, I want to do PE. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be pulled out. Like, I want you to understand that. I don't want to have extra time for this exam. I want to get it done. <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't want it to take me longer. I don't, yeah. I don't want to be using large print. It's embarrassing, whatever. Like, I just want to be like everyone else. And you're jealous of me for these accommodations. I did not want to spend five and a half hours on my lit exam. And yet um, I had more than one classmate be like very passive aggressive about the fact that I have an iPad and a MacBook Mm. and an Apple pencil. Um, And both of the, all of those things are what I need in order to like function in school. They are what I need in order to complete any and all of my schoolwork but then this kid in my class goes well that's just the peak of richness Mm. and I think this was like a couple years ago but I think I said directly back to him no it's just the peak of accessibility that's a good response I think it's it's viewed as an unfair advantage and it's I think it comes a lot from when people don't understand um like if if you see someone who's 
the with normative idea of someone who's totally blind, it's like, oh yeah, of course they would need like, how are they going to read? Because they can't see. Like, because they're assuming like it's all like black, you can't see anything. Um, but, well, you know, as soon as like a new variable comes into it, it's like, well, I can see some. It's like, well, then you don't need it. So mm-hmm. it's it's unfair. You have it and I don't. I'm like, yeah, you have like 80% of your vision and I don't. But, you know, I'm not <laughs> complaining about that. <laughs> I'm still here to do thing. So, um, yeah, like, you know, you can be snarky about it. But I think it just comes from a really a lack of education. And like, I, I also want to kind of broaden it a bit to other disabilities as well. Because I've had conversations with other students who have, um, more cognitive disabilities when it's very, it's not understood, but um, because maybe they have issues with doing math and their accommodations, they need a calculator and like a classmate of theirs, like completely like caused a whole, like, this is so unfair. They got a calculator and we specifically can't have one mm-hmm. in front of the whole class. And this person was left to like, try to describe their situation that no, it's just cause I'm, I'm, I can't do the math on the level that you guys can. Um, and I can just imagine how awful that was in front of like 200 students needing to just like explain yourself. Um, yeah. Because this perception is like, this is an unfair advantage, even though it's very much not the case. Yeah, it often feels like I have to like prove myself to people. Like I'm not just explaining it to you. I feel like I'm defending myself in court sometimes. <laughs> like I just, we just want people to understand. But sometimes they don't respond to that at all and they just keep questioning you and it can be so invalidating are you are you feeling this in the blind community as well i think most of these examples have been sort of cited people's reactions but what about do you feel like an imposter around blind people as well like totally blind i guess i should say we're all blind people (laughs) i'm doing it right here aren't i (laughs) Um, For me, I've never, never felt judged by anyone in the blind community. Um, Everyone's just understood it and accepted it as they should. Um, And I think any imposter syndrome that has occurred has been just me telling myself, oh, I I should be able to do this. You know, they can see less than I can. Um, But as for like blind people as a community, I've always found it to be very accepting. Yeah, same for me. Um, I would say, I mean, a majority of my interaction with blind people have been in blind beginnings and it's a lovely community. Um, I will say though, some friends have expressed the opposite where they have interacted with partially sighted people and they have sensed a feeling of superiority. Um, because they, um, through certain interactions, whatever the case may be, they have felt that they were seen as less than because they had less vision. Um, mm. And to me, that's wild that someone perpetuated that or, or that was a situation. Um, but I think internally, I do sometimes feel like I, I used to hesitate to say blind around blind people or if I'm with a, a, a someone who's has less vision than me and there's a sighted person, and then I describe both of us as blind. Um, Sometimes I feel like a little bit like, uh, I did, but I've gotten a lot more just through the support of everyone around me. It's like, no, use use that word. That's totally fine, because you are. And don't think you're any different just because of people people think. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'd say most of my interactions with 
blind people have been through blind beginnings, which is, you know, just very, very accepting. Like I don't, I walked into a tree a couple weeks ago and I had my cane and I was like, oh my God, this was totally my fault. I was looking directly into the sun and not paying as much attention as I should have. And I'm like, I think I might've, might've done some damage there. So I, I do feel bad sometimes <laughs> so you're talking like, about representing the blind community yeah, like, like oh no representing like <laughs> and also just you know because I don't use my cane exactly how a fully blind person would because I use it more for depth perception and stuff like that so you know I do worry that that I'm you know not exactly not representing well but kind of like that I'm I shouldn't say that I'm I'm blind if I do the things that I do but I've never felt like any nobody else has ever said that to me like it's I don't know it's always been so supportive and everyone I've met has been you know really really welcoming and stuff so yeah I wonder if that I mean that's good I'm glad that you guys haven't felt that way um I have kind of heard totally blind people make comments about somebody with low vision who maybe has a guide dog or something and kind of like I think they have too much vision for that um I feel like maybe that fear comes from if you seem too capable and then are people going to think I'm not like as skilled as a, you know, if they think we can see the same and you can see more and I can see less and you can do it easily. And I can't, if you can reach for that thing and grab it and I have to feel around do they think I'm like not as good of a blind person <laughs> because they don't understand there's a difference in vision? Um, I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate. I think that I've sort of, sort of, sort of heard hints of that from people at times, some people, some of the time, which would, would add to your, your feelings, right. Of this whole imposter thing. I guess there's also like, if there's certain things like, I don't know if, cause sometimes if I'm really close to it, I can see like, and it's on one of the screens as well. I can see the name of the stop on the bus. So I almost worry that like, if I see that and I get off when, although it's very frustrating when the drivers don't have the announcements on, am I making it so that they think in the future, other blind people will be able to see that too. And then am I like, you know, making it so that people wouldn't, I guess, do the things you'd expect right. to do for someone who is fully blind? For sure. I, but I, I think this also comes down to, I don't know how to word this, but if, if that bus driver had adequate education, my experience should not um, impact that, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. If they were trained on how to interact with blind people um, and were told that people have different visions, mm-hmm. my interaction wouldn't change that. Uh, yeah. Like, um, so you know, I think because we live in a world where so much is just so not taught to people, we fear that if we make like uh, if we're too competent, um, or we really change the perception, that gets reflected on the whole community. Even though one person never speaks for a whole community, um, mm-hmm. in any anything you identify as, maybe the prime minister, but it's like you know, <laughs> no one speaks for an entire group of people. That is they like shouldn't. Just not- it shouldn't especially yes it definitely should not because everyone is so diverse and everyone's experiences are so diverse so I don't know I think just with disability in general this tends to be a thing that happens because you would never put this with like 
unfortunately people do but you know it's more of like a common idea with like race or gender it's like not one person speaks for everyone but it's just kind of not translating disability as much i mean also in the bus example you could have known where to get off by the way it felt like it might not even been because you could read the sign right like i know that my bus turns left turns right and then it turns left and then I'm the next stop. And I just know that. And so whether the announcements are on or not, I, I can on that particular route, <laughs> get off independently. Um, but yeah, I get that feeling of pressure. I feel that a lot that I'm representing the whole community and what I do or don't do is impacting people's perceptions of blindness. It's a lot of responsibility to carry around and it shouldn't be that way. I feel like we should be able to relax and just be who we are and if we need help some days, if we need a cane some days, if we don't other days, it's no one's business but our own. But it's hard. It's hard to let go of all of this. Um, do you guys have any advice for folks who might be feeling similar? Like how how do you how do you pep talk yourself out of this or do you how do you make the choice to use the cane or not use the cane or use the word blind or not use the word what advice do you have i mean first of all you are not alone um i i convinced myself that i was alone and feeling this way for a really long time but obviously as you can tell from this entire conversation that is not true at all and it's okay that you feel weird um but just try to remember that even though it feels that way, not everyone is looking at you all the time. Not everyone is basing their beliefs about blind people off of you. Um, and I have to catch myself in that all of the time. I will be walking with my cane and then I'm feeling really nervous. And then I have to be like, wait, Nina, no, there's no, there's no cane police. No one's going to come up to you and take your cane away and say, hey, you're not blind enough. That's not going to happen because there are no cane police. And we deserve to use whatever we need to navigate our world better. And it's okay to be different. Mm -hmm. Well said. Yeah, very well said. I, th I think um, Nina kind of captured it all. But, you know, if I think of younger me um what I would want to say is um yeah it's okay to have these feelings because it's a lifetime of buildup of so many situations that kind of lead to these feelings but what what I what I say is just just do it you know like um I didn't get out of these feelings until I actually really just and that could be hard like you're gonna have to push yourself to be in these situations it's gonna be uncomfortable but I think that with just going forward and trying something in combination with um, being fortunate enough to find people that feel this way or are very accepting, um, just having people support goes a long way. So if you can, if you can do that, and if this, I mean, if this podcast can service that, I'm very happy for that. But um, yeah, try to find people like, you know, join Blind Beginnings. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, or anywhere else, if you have anyone else in your school or just anywhere that you think you can talk to who might have this feeling, um, reach out to them. Don't be afraid. And yeah, no one's going to stop you. No one's going to 
physically grab the cane from you. No one's going to physically grab the like device from you. If you think it's helpful, do what you got to do. Yep. You're not taking it away from anyone else. Mm-hmm. Yes, you are not. Yeah, I mean, like everything, everything you guys have said. Um, yeah, I think it's just going back to like what we were, you know, talking about, about like just because you can do it without the accommodation doesn't mean you have to. Like, I know I spent a lot of high school, like spending such a long time trying to read print and I'd like get headaches from like reading these things that took sighted people like half an hour and it'd take me like two hours or whatever. And I finally started using audio formats in college, even though I like didn't explicitly have to. And it just, you know, made my life so much better. Like, I- yeah, I also think that one thing that really helped me um, was just being around other people who were also blind and partially sighted. And like, I don't know, it's empowering to use your cane when you're with a group of people using a cane or use Braille when a, an, a group of people are using Braille or whatever the whatever the accommodation is or the device or the tool. It just, I don't know, it, it kind of made me, it gave me some confidence so that when I was on my own, I could own it a little bit more also. Well, thank you. Thank you, Nina, for bringing up this topic. Um, and thanks to all of you for being here and sharing about your experiences. I think that a lot of people can relate to this and I think this is going to be really helpful. Yeah. Thank you. I really enjoyed having this conversation. Likewise. Thank you for having me on this one. This was really, really helpful personally. And yeah, I hope people are listening and can relate to this and hopefully uh, learn something from this episode. You've been listening to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. If you have a question, a comment, a future topic request, please send us an email to limitless at blindbeginnings.ca. Please share our podcast, like, subscribe, leave us a rating, and join us next time. This podcast has been brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted along with their families. Music for this podcast is composed by Sean Bishop and Clement Chow. Production and audio editing by Rob Minot. For more information about Blind Beginnings and the work it does to support children and youth who are blind and partially sighted along with their families, visit us on the web at www.blindbeginnings.ca and also remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We thank you for joining us and we look forward to seeing you next time.